today I am going to speak on the subject, leaving, living, and looking. And I just want to thank Elder Wright who told us last week, what's love got to do with it? I listened in the sanctuary and I also went home and listened again. Thank you, Elder Wright, for stepping in and helping us to appreciate and hear you were talking about love, pleasing the Father's heart. I think all our troubles begin when we try to please our own hearts. I know that from experience. And I trust that as we continue in this sojourn that we call life, that we'll eventually get to the place where God is the only person that matters. Only person. Thank you, Elder Martin, for reading the scripture reading. And I just want to go to verse 5 of Genesis 5. It says, And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. This phrase, and he died, is mentioned eight times in this chapter. Genesis 5, and he died. Death was the result of disobedience. And we know the command that said, don't eat. They ate. And death came as a result. Abel was the first to die. He was murdered. Adam died from natural causes. The first man to die from natural causes. 930 years. And in case you're wondering, this is not a subject about death. But it's necessary we talk about it so we can understand what living looks like. Most of the men mentioned in Genesis 5 lived close to 900 years. Question, would you like to live for 900 years? I don't think I would want to do that. Because I don't want someone having to brush my teeth for me. But if you give me eternity, where my youth will be renewed like the eagles, I'll be fine. I can soar to places without having to call up Delta or Spirit Airlines or American Airlines. I can just take off and go. But I tried to imagine back then because the world had not yet sunk to the depravity that we have today. Living 900 years may not have been that bad. But inasmuch as they lived a long time, death came anyway. And that is a reminder to us that death may delay its coming, but come it will. In other words, 
we all would be leaving the world sometime. How we live is determined by God. And how we leave is determined by us. We're reminded by the Apostle Paul. Hebrews 9.27 Talking about leaving. And as it is appointed unto men once to die. But after death. The judgment. In leaving, God wants us to understand that when He spoke to Job in Job 14 1 to 5, He had determined the length of our days. Man that is born of woman is of a few days. Stop and think about it. 900 years was but a few days when compared to eternity. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not and doth not open his eyes and bringest me into judgment with thee. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Seeing his days are determined. Here's that word again. The number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. In other words, none of us is going to live forever. So we need to stop behaving as if we're here forever. The psalmist in Psalm 34, 39 rather than verse 4, he says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. Some of us are so pompous that we behave as if we have total control of this thing called life. One can be strong as an ox today and be as weak as something not so strong tomorrow. Hezekiah reminds us that when we go to the cemetery or the funeral home or see a hearse, Hezekiah reminds us of this thing called death. He got a reprieve of 15 years, but he still died. The thing about leaving or death is that it ought to remind us to prepare. If we're leaving, we have to prepare to leave. In 2 Kings 20 and verse 1, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. 
And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Just stop for a moment. What if God were to tap you on your shoulder right now and say to you, Hey, set your house in order because you're going to die. Would you have to make significant changes? Is your house in order as it is that even without the warning you would be right? But isn't God so good and great that he can say to Hezekiah, listen, you're going to die, and I want you to prepare to die. Well, the truth is, if God were to ask you to set your house in order, what would you have to do differently? Let me pause for a moment. Would you have to throw away those lottery tickets that you've been purchasing? While God's coffers have not been full? If you had to set your house in order... Does it mean you have to throw out certain things from your cabinet? If you had to set your house in order, does it mean you have to discontinue your behavior of being excited about a particular sin? What if God were to say, set your house in order? Maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's your love of self. God is good in that he doesn't tell us when we would have to leave. The truth is, most of us believe that if we knew just when we would have to leave, we would do the right thing. Uh, I don't think so. Some would say, let me get my last party in in. Because if I know I'm going to be leaving on a particular date, I'll party up to midnight before that time. Some may be so fearful that they will refuse to do anything that may exert some sacrifice. Elder Martin, I'm reminded of a friend whose son, this young man had two sisters. He's the older one. And his sisters were all accomplished in terms of pursuing higher learning. And for some reason, he had dilly-dallied in his life. And when he reached about the age of 50-51, he decided to go back to school. And he pursued something very difficult, a PhD in biochemistry. And he worked hard. He maintained a job, maintained his wife, maintained their two children, and he pursued it and pursued it and pursued it. And three months before graduation, he began to have a headache. 
And he sought doctors, and nobody could find out. Eventually, they discovered he had a brain tumor. He graduated posthumously. He did not live to walk across the stage. And I thought about it. What if God had said to him that you want to die on this particular time? Would he have pursued that degree? Chances are he may not have done so. He may have said, well, I have this little time left. Let me just spend it with my wife and my children. So God is merciful even when he does not telegraph the leaving. We may think it's a bad thing, but it's a good thing. We don't know when we will close our eyes and don't open them again. So what God wants us to do is to be in a place of readiness, preparedness. And how do we do that? Acts 16, 31 says, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. So in preparing step number one, is that we have to believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't just mean believe in his miracles, but we have to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The devil believes and trembles, but that belief is not the belief Paul is talking about. He's saying we believe in Jesus and we go to John which says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So this belief is not just something cognitive. It translates into behavior. It's hard to say I believe when I'm behaving in a manner inconsistent with my beliefs. How can I believe when God says don't judge any man and I can't resist the temptation of picking up the phone to gossip and to talk about people. Sometimes we come to church and the dinner table is simply dissecting what happened in church. Did you see what she had on? That didn't coordinate. We're not talking about Sister Pam. We have our own little thing going. When I saw her this morning in her beautiful bright yellow dress, I said, Sister Pam, next time wear a yellow mask to go with your dress. <laughs> Got to coordinate. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we get to the place where other people's business become our food. And we do it. Freud was correct. Freud said that we fixate on others, which means we have less time to focus on ourselves. What better way for me not to see my faults? What better way not for me not to see my flaws? What better way for me not to see my failings and failures? I got them. Flaws, faults, failings, failures. But I thank God there is also forgiveness. And forgiving someone doesn't depend on the person even recognizing the need to come to you. That's between you and God. You can forgive somebody who doesn't even care if you exist. You remember Jesus. 
He is on a cross. They're killing him. And he says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. Paul then tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt come confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, and he died. This refrain, and he died, and he died in Genesis 5. It's saying that he left. Leaving is a part of our existence from the time a baby is born, the countdown to death begins. It's a life, but there is a countdown. So therefore, we must consider when we come to God, what about the living? Adam, we are told, lived for 930 years. Seth, his son after Abel lived for 912 years. Enos, 905 years. And I know his wife is saying, I don't want him around that long, but we're going to let that go. Canaan lived for 910 years. Mahaliel lived for 895. Jared, 962. Methuselah, 969. And Lamech, Seven, seven, seven. Three sevens. Now just don't go to the casino. That's just in the Bible. Seven, seven, seven. And when we look at the length of years, we can be caught up with the length of years. These men lived a long time. And by the way, when someone says the Bible is sexist, don't try to argue. It is. It only mentions the men and how long they lived. It didn't tell us about the women. That doesn't interfere with my faith or trust in God. When we try to defend the indefensible, we end up doing damage. There were women who lived and died. We don't know how long they lived. It's just talking about the men. Who wrote the Bible? Men. The length of years is not the issue. Let us remember that Abel was a young man when he died. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.24. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away as temporary as the morning fog. And James cautions us when we think we're living and we're going to live. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor poof that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth 
away. Regardless of its length, life passes swiftly. And so the psalmist says, in living, in being prepared, we must embrace this. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Lord, as I am living and I'm having fun, teach me to number my days. Help me to understand that this life I have will not be forever. So give me the wisdom to live right. Jesus, when he walked on earth, met this young guy who had a lot of money. Maybe he was a Jeff Bezos type. Now, Jeff has to deal with the whole aspect of the union now. Because it's coming. And this young man, in Luke 12, presented himself like he's all of that. And a bag of chips. And Jesus, after listening to him, said, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain man, a certain rich man, brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself. We don't always have to speak it to be guilty of it. Let me say it again. Remember, Jesus knows what we are thinking. He thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns. And there I will bestow my goods and my fruits. This Amazon warehouse is too small. Let me build bigger warehouses so I can store. And Jesus says, and I will say unto him, So thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? If it's one thing is certain, that that which happened in Texas... About 15 years ago, it reminds us of how we just can't take anything with us. A young man, but not so young, middle-aged, had a Corvette. He cherished that Corvette, candy apple. And he asked that when he died, he be buried in his Corvette. And they did. Dressed. And the, he had money. You can imagine the size of that plot. It's not like me, you getting a little slice of the lamb. 
And he was buried in his corvette and all was well until somebody wrote a story about it. And it caught the eye of one of the members from the city council who then went to the bylaws and discovered that that was prohibited. Three months later, they dug him up and took out him from the corvette. He had to go like everybody else. So you can't go strutting your stuff because you got a little something. You just can't take it with you. So when we are living, that's the time our generosity should come forth. That's not the time for hoarding. I moved in December. And I'm just going to give a little advice. If you happen to have a house and you have a garage, put your car in the garage. Don't build shells in the garage. I this you know, wonderful carpentry, built shells all around. What for? In moving, I discovered some of the things in the shelves had not been touched for 10, 12, 15 years. But they were on the shelf. We had to get rid of, get rid of, get rid of, and guess what? I'm ashamed to say it. We still have some stuff in storage. I don't know what we're saving them for. But that's us. But if we look at Jesus, we will recognize that when he lived, it says the son of man had no place to lay his head. He did not accumulate anything. God is not saying we should not build and occupy, but we must be reasonable because when we die, we can take nothing with us. It was amazing watching folk trekking from the war-torn area of Ukraine going to Poland. And I found it, well, it wasn't hilarious. It's a sad scene. But many of them were walking with rollaway bags. And bombs are flying. When you travel in a plane, they tell you if anything happened, leave everything behind. Some people have died trying to take their little carry-on with them. God says, the only carry-on I need is the Lord Jesus Christ. So in living, I must live for Jesus Christ. Told this rich guy, fool, tonight you're going to die. Who do you think the stuff in the barn would belong to? And then finally... We are told in Genesis 5, verse 21 through 24, this is now the looking part. It says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and beget Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah three hundred years. And he begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 
60 and 5 years. I just want us to pause for a moment. In Genesis 5, Enoch is the one in terms of years who would not live as long as the others. It says 365 years. And then we go to verse 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch, in Genesis 5, was the one who did not see death. I think it's okay if we don't see death. I think it's okay if we never experience death. In other words, if Christ were to come today, would I be in the group that gets up? I had a frightening dream when I was a teenager. It kept coming over and over. About 16 or 17 I was. And it was a dream of Christ coming. And every time I try to jump up, I'm coming back to the ground. The one redeeming thing about the dream is the brightness didn't kill me. But I was startled by the fact I wasn't going up. You see, God is saying to us, we must be like Enoch. He was a beacon of light in a dark chapter. He lived in an environment that was corrupt, that was sinful. But the man walked so upright with God that God says, Enoch, your son, Methuselah, is going to be the longest man to live. 969 years. You're going to be 365, but I'm going to do something better than 969. I'm going to take you to heaven right now. And that's because Enoch was walking and looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for God. He was living in the confines of his environment, but his focus was heaven. Enoch didn't have anything more to gaze upon than his counterparts, except he embraced this thing called faith. Enoch walked by faith. He did not walk by the things that he saw. He walked by faith. And if we're not careful, truth is, in this world of hypocrisy and double standards, if we look at what's going on, we may say this is, doesn't make sense at all. We may look at the politicians, at the celebrities, and we may reduce our walk according to the environment. But Enoch's walk was according to his faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as surely as we need to be prepared for the arrival of death, the leaving, and the living, we need to be looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 24, 42. Byron, give me some music there, please. It says, 
Watch therefore, for we know not what hour your Lord doth come. Watch therefore, for we don't know. To watch is to look. We're going to leave this world at some point. We're living in the world, but God wants us to be looking while we are living. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord cometh. And John on the Isle of Patmos wanted to allow us to have some assurance today. So wherever you are, whatever you may be struggling with, if you are doubting yourself as to if God to say, put your house in order, am I going to be fine? Whatever you're struggling with, remember that Jesus came to save and to seek that which was lost. That's why he came. And so John tells us in Revelation 22 and verse 20, he who testifies these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I trust today that we would not focus on He died and He died and He died, but we will focus that He lives. I serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today. And it doesn't matter what men may say. He lives within my heart today. Jesus is not in a grave somewhere. He lives and all he's asking me to do is to look up and see my salvation. I trust we can be like Enoch. A beacon of light even amidst darkness. May God help us today. Not to dwell on this idea that we will live forever down here. Because that's how some of us behave. But to embrace the fact that eternity is only in the earth made new and with Jesus. Without him is all but a dream. Today, I want to make an appeal to ask you as I ask myself what if Jesus were to tap me in the shoulder and say put my house in order what would I need to change my appeal is for us to examine ourselves not to examine somebody else but to examine ourselves let me say that again my appeal is for individuals to examine themselves not somebody else because the moment we start examining ourselves we may find no need to say God here is what I need to do to put my house in order because my house is better than that person's house my appeal is for us to examine ourselves and God says to us if he says put your house in order what is it you need to do Father in heaven it's so easy to examine others. 
but today help each of us to examine ourselves and if we have not been like Enoch this beacon of light in darkness help us by faith to embrace that which Jesus has given to us that we can be that beacon of light even in a world of darkness help us to know there would be a leaving and while we are living we must be looking this we ask in Jesus' name that the saints all say Amen.